I just had that moment of feeling like if I could be there for her and I'm able to financially get help through a CNA program, which I had just learned about actually, I didn't know that that program existed until she was a few years old. I started looking into that. That was the only way that I was able to leave my job, to have a program that helped supplement that income that I was no longer going to have. Welcome to the Unforgotten Families podcast, an action-oriented community of hope, inclusivity, and compassion for all medically fragile families. This podcast was created to spread awareness, share solutions, and advocate for the needs of these resilient individuals. It's our hope that the information and stories we share will inspire and empower you to join us in advocating for these families and help to ensure that they are never forgotten. Hello, Tough Advocates. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Unforgotten Families podcast. Today, I am super grateful to be connecting with a friend, Kiera Zink. We actually met, I don't know, maybe... What do you think it was, Kara? Was it five months ago? A few months ago? Yeah, it was a while ago. You know, time goes by so fast, it's hard to remember. But yeah, so I think it was like October or something like that. And I got to go to your home and meet your beautiful daughter, Jordy, and just kind of really experience what you go through on a daily basis. And you are someone that has the family CNA program up in Colorado. And what's been going on in your family? It's been a few months. Just give me a little update. Sure. Well, first, I want to say thank you for having me. Um, It's really nice to be able to share our story and hopefully in turn, you know, educate and help other families who don't have this program. So thank you for having me. Things have been going pretty good. I don't know if we'd say the end of this pandemic, but it's been quite an interesting few months for everyone out there with um, Omicron and what that looks like and um, having that go through community and our house. Thankfully, Jordy, you know, we spared Jordy from from getting COVID again. She's had her fair share of little illnesses and sicknesses, but she's getting stronger and able to pull through. Whereas in the past, we would have probably been in the hospital by now. So I'm just thankful for where we're at right now and and for today. Beautiful. One one day at a time, right? Exactly. So when I reached out to you, I kind of was thinking like we we're finally going to be releasing your video in a month or so. And um, I was like, you know what, it'd be cool to have you on and just kind of have people get to connect with you here. And then they can watch the video after and say, oh, cool. Like, this is what she was talking about. In that process, you kind of responded to me and said, hey, this is perfect timing, I feel, because, you know, we're having issues with the Family CNA program in Colorado right now. So can you just kind of tell me a little bit about that and what came up? Because I think it's um, worth spreading awareness about as well. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's been interesting. So in Colorado, we've had our CNA program for years now and with COVID they Medicaid actually put a pause on the home healthcare companies having to send in and get approvals for the parents to continue to, you know, get paid and be approved for a certain number of hours And they did that just knowing the state of COVID and what everyone was going through. And in November, they decided to go back around and have all of the home health healthcare companies start to resubmit um, their PAT and get approval for the hours the families were otherwise previously approved for. All the families started getting 
their hours taken away. They started denying hours for things that, that they were previously being able to do. And those things were, you know, dressing, bathing, and activities of daily living that that child really does need help with that they're not able to do themselves. This has greatly been affecting so many families, their quality of life and, and their role as a CNA and being able to provide for their family the needs of their child. And so it's been months of families appealing, peer to peers, doctors having to talk with and fighting for these hours. And it got to the point that all the parents are just they're they're fed up. They're being so greatly affected by this and not able to provide the care because they're not able to get financially compensated for what they were doing before. You know, there's not help out there to find for someone else to be able to provide this care. So that's why it's so crucial that the parents are able to, you know, have this program. So we just saw it where basically some of the advisory council set up a call to have Medicaid sit and listen to some of the stories that the families were going through. And it was really powerful. There was probably 150 families on this call that I was on, all sharing their story about how this was going to affect them and how scared they were, how fearful they were, because if they don't get these hours, there is no place for their child to go. You know, there is no programs for them to get this care. And so Basically, just everyone, you know, was fed up and and voiced their opinion. And it's amazing to see what happened because Medicaid did listen and they went ahead and decided to put a pause on, you know, all the approvals and, you know, evaluations that they're doing for another six months until this summer to be able to go back, gain more information on what the right steps are that they need to take what they should really be looking at and working closely with the home healthcare companies and doctors and making sure that they're they're doing this the right way and that truly they are looking at it from the right perspective. So it was just amazing to watch that in action and be a part of that, that actually the our voices do matter and we can make a difference and they will listen. I don't know, just I had said this to you before, but persistence really does beat resistance. And it's incredible to have been able to see that happen here in Colorado. I love that. I remember you saying that persistence beats resistance every time. Mm -hmm. I think that's beautiful to think about. Like this is the importance of advocacy. One thing I'm just thinking about as we're talking about this is like, what is the importance of of community to you? Because it feels like your community, because you guys know of how beneficial it is, you can find 150 people to show up and advocate for this. Where like, if families could gather together like this in other states, which they are for other things, but they don't know about this. But to think that 150 families showed up to tell their stories of why they need this, it's like, we we need that. And I guess, I, what's the importance of a community to you? For me, community is everything. I think, you know, knowledge is power. And the more you can learn about what's happening in your community and the things that other families are going through, finding a way to connect with them, even though it is such a small world that we live in, but there's a lot of us out there and we may be spread apart. But one way that we've done that in Colorado is, is through a Facebook group. You know, we have a Facebook group for parents of children with special needs. And it's been an incredible resource for me since finding it. I just learned so much from other families. And then I'm able to share, you know, our experience or our stories. And 
I think that's just the best way these days with social media to connect because we otherwise wouldn't see each other in the community. You know, for us, that's what's worked here. And then word just spreads fast. You know, one person tells one, they tell another and, you know, we're all there for each other. And, and I feel the more that we can stay connected and support each other, the more we'll be able to fight for what our kids really need. We have a pretty good community here, I'd say. Beautiful. One thing that I'm thinking about when I think about when I showed up at your house, you gave me a time frame because that was going to be the best time for you. And even in that process, you were so busy. You went to the school twice and you had to take two kids or, you know, you had to do a lot of transferring and all this stuff. So I'd love to maybe first have you share like what your day looks like. What does a day look like caring for Jordy? And then in that process, why this program specifically is so beneficial to you and families like yours. It's funny that <laughs> that you sat there and watched all that because I guess in my mind, it, it just seems like so normal to multitask like that, you know? And I was thinking about it, about, you know, how many hats that we wear as special needs parents to name a few here to give people an idea of, of what we do on a daily basis is, of course, I'm mom first, but I'm an advocate. I'm a teacher a therapist. Sometimes I feel like I'm a doctor diagnosing uh, my child's conditions before they do. I'm a manager. I'm a researcher, a scheduler, an insurance navigator, administrative assistant. I'm constantly organizing medical files, filling out multitudes of forms, keeping binders of my daughter's medical records and insurance documents, appeals. I'm a dietitian transportation driver, and the list really goes on. I know that many parents can can add way more titles to uh, to the hat that they wear on a daily basis. I think that you could also add uh, physical therapist and occupational therapist. I know like just feet away from where you are is uh, Jordy's room with all of her therapies. And I witnessed you music therapist. Yeah. And I had said therapist. And so I guess when I say that I encompass all of them, her, <laughs> her speech therapist, her physical therapist, her occupational therapist, music therapist. I mean, oh yes, the list goes on. Right. And then you, I saw you do different therapies with her. You had to do feedings with her, which that whole process takes time. How do you do other things when you are doing that? When there's no caregiver available, someone has to do the care. And then when you talk about some of the things they tried to take away, maybe talk a little bit about Jordy and how bathing and cleaning and things like that are not normal care for someone her age, maybe. Absolutely. You know, and I think that is where it gets confusing for people and they don't quite understand. Jordy is is very much affected in, in so many ways. She's deafblind. She's nonverbal. She's not able to move around. Um, she's not mobile. So she really requires someone to help her with absolutely everything. You know, I have to worry about her safety first and foremost. Uh, She has seizures. And so for her to be able to get dressed on her own is not something she's able to do. Can she take a bath safely on her own? No. You know, we have a specialized bath chair with kind of a seatbelt that makes sure that she's going to stay in there and be safe in the water. And I have to get her in there. I have to get her out. It's just she requires full, full care. And so for someone to say that age appropriately, that's normal. 
It's not. And she's going to require that type of care and help likely the majority of her life. So to have things like that, hours taken away for those duties that we're doing or responsibilities um, for her care is, it really does affect us. I'm not able to go out and carry a regular typical job like other people due to the amount of care that she requires. I mean, her doctor's appointments, the amount of therapies, I think, you know, at one point we had eight to nine therapies a week on top of doctor's appointments. I think she sees between 12 and 15 different doctors or providers. And for a long time, when she was young, we had to see every single one of them every three months. So you can imagine how much that that adds up. Her daily needs just became too hard for me to be at work and fulfill the expectations needed of me to perform. I was spending more time taking care of her than being able to do what was required for me for my job. Well, tell us a little bit about like, what were you doing? Like, what was your life before? And then like, what was the moment where you're like, I can't do this and I'm going full time into taking care of Jordy? I've always been a pretty independent, career minded person. And I really did love working. I was pretty successful at the jobs that I did hold. I had planned on working while having my children. You know, that was just the plan I had for me in my life. And I really did love doing it. After having Jordy, I did go back to work because I wanted something for myself as well. And it literally turned me upside down. It, it changed me entirely. Um, there's no denying that. You know, the first few years, it, it pulled me so far from who I used to be that I didn't even recognize myself. But I, I tried to pull it together and go back to work. And she was still a baby. Even though she had a lot of care, I was able to find someone that was an extension of me at the time. And, you know, I was working and we were able to provide a person come into our home to take care of our daughter and helped to take her to some of those appointments and do those home therapies with her. For me, she was still acting much, much like a baby. So there wasn't a lot of interaction. And so I felt like, you know, she's being taken care of. She hadn't had a seizure yet. And then six months later, she has her first seizure. We got through it. It wasn't a major one, but we just didn't really know what was to come. And how are you supposed to know in this world? You kind of take day by day and no one's giving you this book of your child. When you leave the hospital saying, if this happens, do this. We have no clue. So it was just, I don't know if I was naive in the fact that there was so much more ahead of us, but I was just trying to live as much of a normal life that I, that I used to have while also still adjusting to have a child with a pretty significant diagnosis and special needs. So I was able to, you know, get through that. And we decided to grow our family again. And we were told it'd be great to have kids close together because the other child, when they go through developmentally new stages that the child with special needs likely would be watching and wanting to follow closely after. And, you know, you see a lot of new development in that sense. And so we did that. We had a son um, 18 months after my daughter. Again, I thought, okay, I, I'm still working. I could manage all of this. Went back to work after he was uh, three, four months old. And then I started to notice a shift in my daughter that she became such 
she was interacting so much more. She was trying to communicate. She was moving her body. Also came really hard things. Um, we had had so many hospitalizations due to respiratory viruses and really scary seizures. And I had a traveling job. I was gone two, three nights every single week. And I just had that moment where I sat there and said, this is, this is becoming very scary. And if she has a seizure when I'm away, I don't think I would be able to cope with that. And how are we going to do this as a family when I could be here? I could make that choice to come and be her caregiver. And I felt like I wasn't giving her what she needed because I was so far away. I just had that moment of feeling like if I could be there for her and I'm able to financially get help through a CNA program, which I had just learned about actually, I didn't know that that program existed until she was a few years old. I started looking into that. That was the only way that I was able to leave my job to have a program that helped supplement that income that I was no longer going to have because I wasn't able to care for my child on my own without also having a job. It's just a, a, it's a really hard position to be put in as a parent. Yeah. And I think there's also a part that I do think there's an added part of the story that, you know, you aren't saying, which is you were told that she was going to have a certain amount of time, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. And I think we talked about this in the video, but we were told at birth, a third of all children with her condition die before the age of two. And so I sat thinking about how somewhat time is ticking and I don't know how much I'm going to get with her. You know, I want to be there. She needs her mom. She needs a person who knows her best. She needs a person who's going to fight for her. I think that I had that moment of realizing what an advocate really was and that I am going to be her best advocate. And without me, she's likely not going to get the care and services that she really needs. And so I had to make that choice and it was hard, but it was pretty clear. Can you talk about how does this program benefit Jordy? And then how does it benefit you and your family as a whole? It's important for Jordy to have a program like this because there's a, one, a shortage of help out there to find good care for Jordy. There's been a need in the community for a long time for caregivers, for CNAs, for nurses. There's a shortage. So it's nearly impossible for some parents. This program allows us to provide that care for them. Consistent care. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. If we were to try to find providers to come in who you can count on, who are reliable and want to be in home health, that's not an easy thing to find. These parents, we are hanging on by a thread. And this program is a lifeline for people who otherwise, we have to think about where our child would be if we were not able to be that constant care for them. You know, would they be in an institutionalized program? Would they be living in a hospital? I can't ever imagine not being able to take care of my child and having her to live in a facility or hospital because of her needs. You know, she should be with her mom. She should be with her parents. She should be with her. They need to be with their family, just like any other child who's, who's growing up. 
And it would cost the state much more money and the government to take care of these children outside their home anyway. Absolutely. And can you talk to me a little bit about the process, just because that's something sometimes I feel like I, I don't really go through on the podcast, which I think would be important is, can you just talk about what it is that you get, the license and, and that process and how long it took? Sure. So it does vary. Um, there's different organizations that you can do your training through to become a CNA, but you you go and you learn, you, do, you know, you've got textbooks and teachers and you know, hands-on training and you go and you are actually working in facilities, long-term care facilities um, to get that hands-on experience of, of really what the requirement is to become and be a CNA to provide the proper care. And there's places all over that offer the program. There's small sort of mom and pop agencies all the way to some of the universities offer a CNA program. That's kind of a stepping stool to in some cases, people who want to go on and, and get their RN. So it can vary anyway from 10 days to go through this program and get certified up to three to six months, depending on what organization you go through. Right. And so then you get the program. And then when you're working, you have to fill out notes and things like that for your day. Yeah. So you have to chart similar to what a nurse would do in a hospital. There's care plans that get set up and you know you're home healthcare company would come out and they're the people who would employ you to take care of your child. And you have to have them fill out a tool that kind of takes into account all the cares that you're providing for your child and the needs that they have. And they put it into a document, which tells them how many hours a day that you will be approved for to provide those services for your child. And can vary anywhere from a few hours a day up to 12 plus hours a day, depending on the requirements of your child. You may have a child who is trach dependent and requires oxygen and full care. You would likely have uh, the higher end of those hours or, you know, you're just helping your, your child with some of those basic needs, the ADLs and activities of daily living that they have that might give you a few hours a day. So once that all gets put together, you get set up and you have the care plans laid out with you for you throughout the day. And then you have to chart every single day, all the things you did, you know, it's broken down by what cares you've done with your child. And, you know, you have to go through ongoing training every single year to stay up to date with your certifications and your requirements to be a CNA, but it's a, it's a pretty great program and it's pretty straightforward once you get going. One thing that I think about is, so you go through that program, now you are a CNA. And one thing that literally just sticks with me always is our mutual friend, Megan, um, in her video, I just remember her saying, if someone's going to get paid to take care of my kid, who's better, who better than me? How do you feel about that? That's funny. I just was chatting with Megan this morning, telling her I was going to be talking to you. <laughs> we were actually talking all about the, the CNA program and the hours and what was going on in our state and what some other states might be going through and the argument that those states might have about paying parents for this program. It's frustrating to hear that other, that other states are not supportive because it would cost so much more money for them down the road in the long term to not allow the parent to take care of their own child. And they think that 
it's a little bit of a conflict of interest maybe. But the thing is, is that, so then we have to think about another CNA coming into our, our home to provide the care, you know, on a more scheduled clinical type environment. And the problem is we can't find those providers in consistent care. So it may not be in the exact way that if we were to go into a facility and everything is scheduled, but we're doing all those same things. We're doing things that are above and beyond what a normal parent has to do. And they're not getting compensated for it in other states. It's really just a no-brainer. And it's kind of a win-win for everyone. You know, a parent is able to not have that stress of going out and working while wondering who's taking care of their child and finding consistent care. It's very hard to even keep a job, a consistent job, because what what company out there is going to allow you to go spend weeks on end, you know, sitting with your child in the hospital or taking care of them when they're sick or making sure that they're getting fed and that they're actually getting bathed, you know, and that someone is, is treating them the right way. There's just so many things that can happen while they're in somebody else's care. And it's, it can be scary. Yeah. There's layers to it. It's like, that's, that's even if you find a very consistent, awesome CNA, that's going to take the hours that allows you to go to work. But if they don't show up, then you have to call in and you can't be at the place you're supposed to be. The care is inconsistent and you're stressed out and not making money. And no one's number one whole full circle is that Jordy's not getting the care that she deserves. Exactly. And after all the years of that happening, eventually a job is going to say we've been very lenient and understanding, but it's just uh, not working out anymore. Right. And then even like Megan made some good points when I sat with her too, and I don't even think it made it in the video is her saying like, I know what my son's seizures look like. You know, I know exactly which direction he's going to like what it looks like. And if I have a caregiver that's new, they, I might tell them what it looks like and they might not fully understand it and they might overreact or not notice it. And then also she said, what are the benefits of me being home for that extra 40 hours is I have 40 hours to even know my son even more than I did before. Like if she's like, I have friends that don't get to spend time and they do have a caregiver. They aren't as in tuned with the care for their kid as I am with mine. Exactly. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've landed in the ER with my daughter having a seizure and the doctors and nurses all look at me and say, you're, you're a nurse, right? Are you a nurse? Are you, are you a doctor? And I say, no, I mean, I feel like I can say that I am because I, I know her that well, but it, it can even fool them how much that we know and learn about our child. And without us, they are not even able to give the proper care or the right care that works for them. And so having us there and being that person who knows them inside out, there's going to be a lot better outcome or a more efficient outcome than if we weren't. And being Jory's CNA, I'm, I'm able to be there when she needs me the most to give her the best quality of life, knowing exactly what she needs, what she loves to do, how to support her in the best ways so she can thrive. It just lessens the financial burden we have as a family by me not being able to work outside the home. I've always had the mindset of giving Jordy every opportunity to experience life. And I will find a way to give her experiences that she otherwise wouldn't be able to do because of her disability. 
And by me being home, I'm able to give her some of those. I've, I've been able to have that extra time with her to give her things like do fun things with her with being a mom and have it not all be medical. You know, I've been able to take her adaptive skiing and paddle boarding and dog sledding and biking and canoeing, hiking, horseback riding, snow sledding. I mean, that's just naming a few, but it's allowed me to connect with her in a way that I don't otherwise get to because I'm so bogged down with the medical side of things. Yeah. That's a, that's a beautiful point. She deserves to have the fullest and most exciting life that she can. And having you there and not having a stranger that does or doesn't know how to do the care allows both her to experience it and you guys to experience together. But if you were off somewhere trying to balance another job, that wouldn't, you wouldn't have the space for that. Exactly. Which, which someone could think like, well, I want that for my child too. But like the difference is if someone doesn't have a child with special needs, they get to go to work and there's nothing stopping them other than life. But this is up and above what someone would normally go through. One thing I, I really feel with you, and we've talked about it before, is advocacy just is such a big thing. Like you, you, it always seems to be what ex- one of the things that excites you about this and also, um, you know, something that you're always doing. I would love to know what advocacy means to you. Oh, man. When, when Jory was born, I think it took years for me to, to finally feel like my head was above water. And then I was treading. And then finally I was like, okay, I, I feel like I got this and I'm learning stuff and I'm connecting with people and I'm reaching out for resources. And I realized how much I, what, what we didn't have when she was young and how much that I had to learn. And I wish someone was there to help me walk that path and, and guide me. But unfortunately I had to figure that out on my own. Cause I just didn't know anyone in the community. So through all of that, I learned how to be an advocate. I even went out and I took a few different advocacy courses through multiple organizations that offer them here in Colorado. I learned the type of resources I, I should be connected with. And I just told myself, I don't want someone else to go through what I went through without having someone there to help them. And if I'm not going to step up and be the advocate, who is going to fight for these kids like mine, like Jordy? And if I can help make a difference in another family's life or share something with them about our experience that will help them on their journey, I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to give back and share the, the knowledge information that I've learned. And so also by being a CNA and being home with my daughter when she's at school, I'm able to to go out and be a part of the disability community and sit on some of the advisory councils and boards and have that voice for other families and children who are going to be walking in our footsteps or or are that they just don't have the time to be able to advocate or or get information. And so I've been connected to my daughter's deaf blind. So do a lot of advocacy in the in the deafblind space. I sit on the advisory council at Children's Hospital to help facilitate change and direction for families that have kids in the hospital. There's a few other ones, but I've I really enjoyed 
having that for myself because I am not able to work and I do enjoy having something for myself and, and, and being able to job have a job. However, I'm not getting paid for it, but I, I don't feel like it's, it fills me up in a way that, that money could never do. And, and I really feel like I'm doing something that I'm passionate about and hopefully helping other families along the way. You definitely are. I know that you are. One last thing I wanted to do is just give you the space to, to share anything you feel called to share while we're here. Is there anything that I missed? Anything you want to bring up? I would probably just want to tell other families that are feeling frustrated or hopeless or just defeated that we all have days where we swear we just can't do it anymore, you know, where we'll feel like it's not going to get any easier and that it's going to be challenging forever. And we can't really picture a world where we don't have to fight for the basic rights and inclusion and, you know, for things just to be easy. But I think that the more that we come together and find our community and focus on the, the things that are positive, the goals and milestones and things that our children are achieving and doing that we've worked on for years and years, that it's the same thing with advocacy, that it may not seem like you can facilitate change now, but with time and you know what we've seen our children do, it's the same with the support that we fighting for those rights that that we deserve as families, that it will happen one day and that we're capable of making change happen. This life turns us up upside down. That goes without saying, but it also puts us back together. And I feel like it's made me who I was meant to be. And I'd rather be this person now than who I would have been without having my daughter with special needs and what I've learned from, from all of that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me again and for sharing your voice and for all the advocacy work that you're doing. And I know there's things that we didn't even touch that I know you're doing. And we just appreciate you for being a tough advocate for you and your family and for all the other families. Thank you, Garrett. Hello, Tough Advocates. Thank you for listening to another episode. Kiera and Jordy's story always impacts us, and we are so grateful to have them. It is the first episode of the month, which means that tomorrow we have another Unforgotten Families video coming out, and tomorrow's actually happens to be Kiara and Jordy's video. So if you would like to check out their story and see what their life looks like, please go to the Unforgotten Families on YouTube, subscribe, and tomorrow the video will come out. Thank you so much for everything you do. Thank you for being tough advocates, and we will see you on the next episode.